You have 24 minutes, the podcast from 24 Hour Nation. My name is Randall White. Free the Night is a nonprofit organization that formed during the pandemic. Its mission is to create a safe, progressive, and culturally rich environment for nightlife in Northern Ireland. But in fact, the charity is much more than that. It is also a cultural rights, almost civil rights advocacy organization. It has to be. Gain new understanding as we spend 24 minutes with Free the Night co-founders, Holly Lester and Boyd Slater. The idea of uh, nighttime advocacy in Northern Ireland had been thought about, I think, on a number of occasions before Holly and I came together. And certainly Holly was in conversations with um, Sunil Sharp from Give Us the Night in the Republic of Ireland at one point. And I think with those questions about what way does that go forward? And for me, I didn't know Holly before we, we before we started Free the Night. You know, I just heard of her name and I knew she DJ, but I hadn't met Holly before. And when uh, a bit of licensing legislation came across my table, because I would see things like this in terms of consultations, which are to do with the government coming across, I picked up on it and sent it to some different people. Holly wasn't one of those people, but sent it to some venue owners and creatives and people who are promoters and asked them to respond to it. And when the response came back, I realized that nobody had really responded to it. Now, police had, church organizations had, so you had all of these uh, quite sort of, um, I, I guess, more of those sort of conservative type organizations deciding what licensing should look like. And it was at that point also that we recognized that uh, they might actually reduce the entertainment time down to 2 a.m. Mm. And so at that point, I was like, I, I really am not happy about this. And I reached out to Sunil because Sunil had done something like this in the Republic. I had a friend that knew him and Sunil went, you need to speak to Holly. And Holly and I then had a conversation and Free the Night came about. I, I was going to ask how the two of you all connected because you come from very different paths, really. Holly, when you picked up on this from Boyd and you got a sense of what was happening in Northern Ireland, what what triggered you to kind of connect with Boyd and drive this forward? Because you seem like you're a pretty, pretty big powerhouse of energy. <laughs> so... I, as Boyd had mentioned before briefly, I had already tried to, I guess, initiate something like Free the Night before, but uh, we didn't have Boyd at this stage. and We were just kind of a bunch of artists who didn't really know how to take on the government. Um, it was it was going around in circles. Um, this also happened in the height of the pandemic. So mentally i wasn't in a very strong place actually so it kind of just came to a halt and then i got a message from sunil one day about void and that's that's kind of how it all started i guess and it, that was like i i think the missing piece for us because i didn't know how to lobby uh the government or advocate properly um and void obviously doesn't work in the industry anymore so it was like yin and yang i guess that's that's perfect both- and yeah it's like a artistic two different artistic paths coming together and helping to push something forward somebody's got this particular skill set in organization and advocacy and someone who really understands the genre because you're a, a practicing performing artist i use that word implying to djs if i may um is that appropriate absolutely yeah, yeah. okay and so Tell me a little bit about the organization, because there are other people out there in other cities going, you know, uh, 
our city's not doing anything about this. Our state is not doing anything about this. We need to mobilize. I understand now that you have volunteers. Do you have a board of directors? How is that set up? Um, well, it's set up in a in a very it's it's a charity. So we 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 have written to the charities to commission. We have our terms of reference as a charity. We have our charitable aims, and those are all really focused on on the creative nighttime economy. Uh, we sort of uh, we 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 define sort of creative as creatives as those people who curate culture as well, not just right. the artists but the curators of it, because uh, there are unsung heroes, there are the promoters <laughs> of this as well as the artists and everybody else. So um, that's the way we sort of set ourselves up and the way we sort of thought about ourselves. And certainly, we 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 really do think of this, the the ethics behind it and the human rights behind it. So. When you said there about is it right to call Holly an artist? One hundred percent, because we think about things in terms of freedom, freedom of artistic expression, and that would be another thing that Holly would would be. She is an artist, and she is, she should be free to perform. And in some ways, we can say, well, look, do we actually have the space to be able to do that? Does our laws are they right and fair, and right. are they justifiable? Uh, and, and if we take it from that standpoint, certainly we can make better arguments in that area rather than economic arguments. Although there are economic impacts to having creative, uh, creative and culturally diverse cities and towns and areas. Well, and, um, I, so and I, as I understand too, also Holly, during the pandemic, your career this came. I mean, business stopped, everything stopped, and suddenly this industry awoke, going this. This affects us. We need to act. Was this your sense from among your colleagues uh, in the nighttime music industry that we we need to do something about this collectively? And that did did that fire this up a little bit? Yeah, I I had a lot of time on my hands, a lot of time to think, and I'd actually only moved back to Northern Ireland like a year previously. Um, I'd lived in England for eight years, and I guess um, yeah, I came back and I couldn't believe that things were still, that they actually seemed worse than before I left eight years ago. And and then, yeah, I had a lot of time to, to think about this during the pandemic. And I tried to um, gather a group of sort of like-minded people together um, and really, really wanted to change something, even though I'm not from the capital city, I'm kind of an outsider in some ways, but I think sometimes it takes an outsider to come in and say, no, like this isn't good enough. And maybe a lot of people are jaded in the city, in the scene in Belfast, kind of comes across like that to me sometimes. <laughs> but yeah, I guess. Well, you maybe- also were able to kind of gather the experience from uh, from uh, England and other cities there and what they were doing and bringing that into this mix too as well, right? We've picked up in these things that, you know, globally there definitely are comparisons, but then there's all these different dynamics when you get to different cities and different areas and different spaces and locality is really, really important. And Belfast is this really interesting, not just Belfast, Northern Ireland is just this very interesting place dynamically, politically, um, culturally, all of these things sort of uh, clash in Northern Ireland a lot of the time. And it's it's interesting because, I mean, re- realistically, we're, we're cultural rights advocates. And when you think about culture in Northern Ireland, these can generally mean very, very divisive things, where, whereas we're very much about inclusion, unity, bringing people together and thinking about these spaces as being, um, but actually post-conflict resolution, sort of uh, conflict resolution spaces in some ways. They might not, might not 
ultimately think I'm going out here to engage in conflict resolution, but that's ultimately what these spaces have become to us. You know, it's a bit of a social healing almost. It's, uh, yeah. you know, I had a conversation with Emma Warren. Thank you very much for connecting me with the author and writer and journalist. And I got a better sense too of some of the unique to Northern Ireland dynamics when it comes to uh, a lot of the things surrounding people who gather at night and dance and drink and the the kind of historical issues around that. I do want to talk a little bit about um, licensing. And when we refer to licensing, I just want to make sure that everybody who's listening understands we're usually talking about licensing of businesses that serve spirits or alcohol. And I know that this is a key element and licensing and all the regulations that are put on licensed businesses, such as closing hours. Talk to me a little bit about what that challenge is right now that you're facing in Northern Ireland regarding licensing. Holly, you mentioned that the hours got moved back from what they were, or where are you now with this particular conflict with government officials? We're really in the same place that we've been for the last 25 years, is it, Boyd? Yeah, it's not, it's not really changed. Um, there was a review that happened um, just as we were sort of um, starting to put things in motion. And that was one of the things that sort of instigated Free the Night, but nothing really progressed past this. So we still, um, we still have a closing time of 3 a.m. at the very latest across the board. So on a personal sort of level, this obviously impacts the time that creatives have in the night to perform. It impacts the number of performers that could be on the bill. It kind of squashes the the window of the different cultural events that could happen in the night into one um, small space. So it's very competitive. There isn't room for a lot of um, diverse sort of alternatives to, to grow. And even for things which are very uh, I suppose in the mainstream, like going out to a nightclub to listen to a DJ, that's still really, really limited because there isn't that space to develop the scene. And it's it's really, really started to, to limit the scene, especially now with the impact of the pandemic and, and everything else that's happened following that. It's just kind of compounded. Well, you also mentioned in some documents, I'm sorry, Boyd, uh, you also mentioned in some documents, there are the other issues about closing and everybody being dumped out on the street at 3 a.m. when there's an absence of transportation and it suddenly puts a lot of inebriated people on the street, which causes other problems. Boyd, talk to me about that. Yeah, I mean, that, that's that's correct. Uh, there's like the cutoff time for everybody for alcohol is is 2 a.m. And then entertainment can run until 3 a.m. And p- pretty much at that point, everybody will be kicked out into the street. Uh, some of the bars sort of stagger their time a little bit. But on the on the majority of them, they'll be dumping people out at 2 or 3 a.m. So you have a lot of people in, uh, engaged in the city at that point in time or in the city at that point in time. And our transport infrastructure isn't good enough to support it. There are other things, though, you know, just on top of what Holly was saying, where license impacts us as well is that in Northern Ireland uh, separate to the rest of the UK because each region has these devolved rules in terms of how, how they, they perform their licensing in Northern Ireland we have a, a principle called surrender principle I what was going to ask is, about that I don't know yeah. I'm unfamiliar with that so what that means is that there are a finite number of licenses in Northern Ireland to be able to sell alcohol and if you wanted to get a license, um, it would cost you sort of between the range of 80 to 120, 130,000 pounds. So immediately you find that um, 
there needs to be equity in the system and there can't be equity in the system if, if it's a hundred and a hundred odd thousand pounds to getting right. gains in it in the first place. And we've seen this actually quite recently because Belfast uh, City Council had a project on called Vacant Environment and that is to turn our vacant shops and vacant property into spaces that people can use. And I think they'd expected maybe to see more in the terms of cultural venues or venues and spaces that might be used for this. But the impact is that even if you know young people or people who wanted to get their foot on the ladder to open a business like this could get a grant to do a place up, they still can't find £100,000 in order to get the license. And, and because there's a finite number of them, there's a whole system to go through which involves going through courts, solicitors, um, you know, city council, it becomes very, very restrictive and um, difficult for people to move forward on that. And then if because of the way the system has existed in the past and because it's a finite number of licenses, we suspect because it's very hard to identify where these licenses are, that the vast majority are probably owned by people who don't engage in the premises themselves. They're owned by generally, I, I'm, I mean, we're guessing here, but I'm going to say that the, probably the vast majority of people that own them would be over the age of 45 or 50, um, probably generally white, male, um, and, and it would probably be a, a very small number of people on the, on, the, on the grand scale of things that own these licenses and own these premises. I mean, we, we know that some license owners have 60 or 70 premises in city centre, and I think that there's maybe only 400 odd in total you know so it becomes it becomes problematic in that way and and then when we actually think about venues that we would consider spaces of cultural importance spaces that have dance floors and um, places to perform the numbers start to become smaller and smaller and smaller and and in actual fact within legislation in northern ireland there's no such thing as a nightclub we still call it ballrooms and if you type into ballroom in google the only place you find is like you know, a hotel or, or storement right. or, 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 or government buildings. You no, know, hold, so. on, hold on, hold on. So you're telling me, it sounds like there are just a lot of what we would call roadblocks or bollards here in place yeah. that are that are really about complete absence of knowledge of awareness or appreciation or respect yeah. for the whole nighttime industries, right? I mean... That's why we exist. Yeah, <laughs> that's, yeah, that's yeah. Okay, okay. And so that's what you are, that's why you're in place to try and chip away at that. Isn't that not correct, yeah. Holly? Do you, do you find, Holly, yeah. that the... Music as is respected as um, a strong component of the ecosystem of Northern Ireland. Historically, I, you know, Northern Ireland, the music culture seems to be so much of a tradition of the place. But today, is it yeah. respected as equal with other I, industries? I don't really know. I think maybe certain genres have more respect than others. I can certainly say that electronic music and the music that I am involved with definitely does not seem to be respected as much by government policymakers, council. There's a lack of understanding in general as well, which maybe could just be put down to ignorance. But um, yeah, so I guess a large part of our of our battle is, is trying to educate people and inform them about the types of music that happens in the night. Yeah, I think there's a bit of a way to go with that, but. Yeah. The, the importance culturally uh, of the nighttime and all of those spaces is really important. And, and I think what, what Holly's saying is true. You know, it's it's important to educate, you know, those policymakers and people on what that means, but also right. we have this challenge that we also need to make people who go out and, you know, use dance floor spaces to, for them to understand the cultural value in it as well. Um, I think, 
I, I think only in actually doing this, this you know what we what we've done is free tonight that we have now got this understanding of what that value is and, and trying to trying to get other people to consider it. Well, this is something that I'm doing which is culturally valued rather than going out just to get drunk. And that we actually see that in the evidence that we've collected as well. The vast majority of people go out to um, enjoy a cultural life. You know, down the bottom of the list is going out to get drunk. So it's all that sort of like use that and, and you talk about it in that way. You know, don't be frightened to talk about it in, in that way either. I think we can also see like just from the amount of artists that come from Northern Ireland, the sort of exports that we have are some of the best in in electronic music. Uh, Bicep, for example, will spring to mind. I don't know if that will be a name familiar with your listeners, but they they are one of the biggest selling artists from the UK and I would say in Europe at the moment. Um, we have a ton of other artists as well that unfortunately have had to leave because of the lack of infrastructure here and all the other issues that, that we have. So, you know, I think it's pretty clear to see that it's not a case of um, a lack of talent. You create beautiful work, the research documents and the plans and the data that goes into that and the case studies that go along with that. That's almost like a, um, a collegiate course in, in how to get started and how to wrap yourself around a, a mandate. And uh, congratulations on that. We'll have links to that on our website. And it's also on your website. And I'll get those links in just a second. But in the Transforming Nightlife in Northern Ireland document, you spell out 13 recommendations. And uh, uh, I was really curious. It also includes some terrific, like I said, mini case studies of what other places are doing to help their nightlife be safer and uh, more inclusive and more vibrant. Of those places... What jumped out at you as something that is aspirational for for Northern Ireland? What what really said we really need to head this direction? For me, I think maybe both of us could answer this question. I mean, one thing for me is definitely this sort of the recognition of culture going back to that bit. So I think um, there's a case study where we see um, institutions and. In, uh, was it in Germany that were given sort of cultural uh, heritage importance? So that, that was something that, uh, you know, I, I think it's difficult in Northern Ireland because we don't have the spaces, but it would be great to have a space which is immediately giving it, given that, you know, sort of like it's bought by the city, it's there as a cultural space and it should be used in that in that profession. So I, I like that idea, but ultimately I think, um, I, I don't think any city's really got it right. I think in some ways we're we're in a really good space that we're so far down the line that we've got this opportunity to create what we want. So that's right. why all these case studies are important to us. We want to get the best bits of everything and go, okay, this is what we can achieve and here's how we do it. Um, Holly, what's the good stuck of you? Is there anything? I think the, the case studies about Glasgow where they had granted later licensing based on basically the behavior, I guess, of the venue owners and venue, its sort of impact in the nighttime economy there was like a point sort of system. And I think that's something that's gonna happen as well in the Republic of Ireland too. Um, I think that's a really good model and we're, we're definitely um, supportive of that. We had lots of different case studies. I can't remember exactly what ones we added in, but right. certainly uh, we did add this in, in Montreal when we went to Montreal last year. Uh, the pilot event was a really, really good thing. I mean, yep. we were at that event, we were engaging as well outside with police who were totally cool with it and the people that were in the venue and 
you know, there were a lack of incidents and how many times the ambulance crew were called out. So all of that would make for really, really interesting information. And that's what we want. We want to go, let's do pilots. They're simple things to do. Let's do right. it. Let's collect right. information. And the city government there is very supportive of those uh, 24-hour events that they're doing. And I get to enjoy that myself next week. So uh, I'm speaking with Holly Lester and Boyd Slater. They're co-founders of Free the Night, a nonprofit organization that launched in June 2021. It's committed to creating a safe, progressive, and culturally rich environment for nightlife in Northern Ireland. Its links are freethenight.org and then also across all social media platforms with Free the Night in I. And I means Northern Ireland for those of us that might not know that. And then uh, I also would encourage you to go to their link tree uh, links also at Free the Night in I, the links to profiles and some terrific magazine articles stories about Holly and her uh, professional excellence, I might add. There's a quote I want to wrap up with. Boy, you, I want to ask you, what, what, what's passionate about you? And you had no idea why I was asking this, and here's where it's coming back to haunt you. You said freedom of expression is a human right. That includes the right to perform and take part in what you consider your cultural life. And then, Holly, you also once referenced the kind of social cultural needs of people in relationship to Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Why is the issue of cultural rights uh, important for all of us right now? I'll start with you, Holly. That's a big question. Right now, I think it's, it's more important than ever because I personally feel like society is at a very divided uh, point in time. I think as well, it's really important to try and get people back out into the real world together, socializing instead of arguing online about our differences. And um, this is particularly important in, in Northern Ireland. It seems like there are a lot of tensions um, bubbling at the moment and certain things have happened in the last couple of years in relation to the, the conflict. And I know that most people would never want to see anything go back to the way it was 20 years ago. But, you know, there's always potential for, for some something to happen. And I think it's it's definitely quite tense at the moment. So I think it's really important for, for us as a country to have this sort of emphasis on non-divisive sort of community activities. Boyd? Yeah, uh, I uh, wholly agree with Holly. I mean, I, I'm very much into the idea of sort of freedom of expression, freedom for a cultural life, um, freedom uh, to to express, you know, your, your opinion as well. And, uh, you know, I fear, you know, this is, this is, well, this is the background that I work in. I work in human rights and equality. And, you know, I've, even in recent days, we've seen people arrested for opposing a celebration, you know, and really when we start seeing things like authoritarian governments and authoritarian policy, it's really, really important that we stand up and make sure that we do something about it quickly um, and tactically and um, peacefully. Uh, and and that's really what, what we want to do. And I think, uh, yeah, as Holly says, I think People in Northern Ireland are acutely aware of that. You know, we've had the 60s and 70s. We've had civil rights movements here. We understand what oppression can feel like and what it is like. Um, uh, and and I think, you know, organisations like our own and others that are trying to do what we're doing um, throughout Northern Ireland, throughout the rest of the globe are really, really important and more important, I think, today than ever with more authoritarian regimes. Hey.
find it strangely comforting that other nations are also facing the rise of authoritarianism. My hope is that the nighttime and cultural economies can coalesce and lead us out of harm. This has been Season 2, Episode 14 of 24 Minutes from 24 Hour Nation. Visit us at 24hournation.com and follow us on social media at 24 Hour Nation. My name is Randall White. <laughs>